Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Room Now podcast. I'm Dr. Jack Cush with RoomNow.com. I'm joined by good friend, rheumatologist extraordinaire, Dr. Marty Bergman. And today we begin the debate on treat the target. Which patient characteristics do you rely on to inform your choice of treatment? An exploratory study that looked at Orenzia, Abitacept, and a TNF inhibitor may provide some insights. Don't treat in the dark. Visit ArenziaData.com. Hey, Marty. How are you doing? Doing great, Jack. How about you? Great. As always, um, you know, it's December. We're debating. Well, first off, Marty's in Pennsylvania, and really Pennsylvania, specifically outside of Philadelphia. He's part of the faculty at Drexel University. He's been doing practice a long time, teaching a long time, doing research a long time. And uh, sadly for me, I have to debate this, this guy um, on February the 17th at the Rheumatology Winter Clinical Symposia, RWCS, held every year in Maui. And it is going to be a knockdown drag out. Um, Artie, which, uh, Marty, which side of, of the argument am I taking? Uh, you're going to be taking that uh, the treat the target concept is a fool's errand that was developed as just a way to sell more drugs and to bamboozle rheumatologists into doing unnecessary work. Yeah, yeah. And you would be taking the strategy that treat to target is an elevation of our skill to the, uh, to the benefit of our patients um, and to um, the true ability to achieve remission. Exactly. That would be, that would be spot on. Yeah. The question is, is one of us going to be right? That is, well, of course, I'm going to be right. Well, <laughs> not so easy, not so easy, Bucko. First off, since this is a debate, um, and again, those of you who want to, you can, you should come to the meeting. It's going to be a really good meeting. Um, and, uh, or you can sign up and do it virtually uh, and sign on and register at rwcs.com. And that's actually r-w-c-s.com. And, um, and you can actually witness the bloodshed uh, and pillaging that's going to occur. Now, Marty, since this is a debate, I want to know, um, first off, is the goal here to win or to be right? Um, well, good question. Uh, I'm going to say to be right rather than to win. Yeah, it's never the wrong thing to do the right, right thing, thing as Ted Lasso. And um, Exactly. But, you know, it, there's a lot of glory in winning a debate, especially, um, you know, at the expense of a friend. So, um, uh, so if that's the case, um, you know, I've debated Ted Pincus and said to him, you know, Ted, no holes barred, you know, don't hold back. And the same thing with Jim O'Dell. I've debated him, you know, go ahead, go ahead. You know, I, I got a thick skin. They were brutal to me. They, <laughs> they destroyed me. At the end of those debates, people came up to me afterwards and said, are you okay? I mean, I thought, I thought you guys were friends. I mean, does that ever happen to you? Oh, yeah. I've uh, had my uh, behind handed to me on more than a, a number of occasions on these kind of debates. Uh, last time we had to debate at RWCS, I had to take the position, which I actually believe in, that EMRs are actually our saviors and that they're, they yes. make life much better. And uh, 
I got trounced. <laughs> well, that's that's the risk you run. There's a skewer nearby, and you could be wearing it. And um, uh, and like you, I often get to do debates where I may not be believing in the side that I'm taking. But the question is, you know, you want to basically present both sides of the argument so that the audience decides. Right. Um, and I think that's important. So. Um, are there any limitations in this debate on the use of, uh, of slides, uh, certain behaviors, use of tactical weapons? Well, we do try to reduce the degree of fisticuffs or, you know, lethal weaponry. But other than that, any slide you want to bring out, you're welcome to bring. I have, I will come with mine and uh, I'm, I'll be ready. All right. Um, I, uh, I just make sure your insurance policy is up to date. So um, the question, uh, let's begin with a few simple issues on this bigger issue is, um, do you think that, I mean, this is a certainly an issue between industry and doctors. This is an industry, maybe even between regulators and doctors. This is an, an issue between doctors who may believe and don't believe in this, but let's put all that aside because that's gonna be the text of our debate. Do you think patients believe and treat the target? They do if you tell them. I mean, I really believe it. I think if you explain to patients that you're not just treating them and you're just not making it up as you go along, but you actually have a plan and you can tell them what that plan is and explain to them you're doing it with a metric, uh, I think patients buy into it. So I think it's more than just, oh, you know, where someone wants me to use more drugs. I truly believe that patients want to know that I'm doing more than, yo, how you doing, as we say in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's the, the Brooklyn hack. How you? Doing? Well, that's the Philadelphia hack. Brooklyn is just how you doing. In Philadelphia, we add the yo. Yo, yo oh, well, how you doing? It's, it's obviously taking the assessment up quite a notch. Um, <laughs> the... You know, the, I think you're right. Uh, I think patients can buy into it. And the evidence for that is cholesterol. Patients want to know their number. Exactly. And there are some patients who want to know what their sed rate number is because they figured out what that means. Um, but as someone who has done measurements for a long time, and I thought I could get my patients to ask me, what is the number on their gas score or their rapid score or whatever? None of them ever seem to quite get it, although it's I give them papers and whatnot. And so um, but I think that there's a shred of that throughout medicine that, and throughout the many different diseases we treat, that some of them want to know their target, whatever that target is, and because it makes them sleep better at night. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily tell, you know, my patients don't necessarily know that their, their rapid is 5.8 or 7.2, but I will tell them, you know, you're at target. And that's really good. You're in a low disease state or you're in remission and you've been that or you're not. And uh, I think I can do better because I can get my patients into a low disease state. Uh, and I, I have no problem with at the end of a visit saying, you know, your numbers look good. I have you and you're at my target. So more than, more than half of docs measure something, uh, according to surveys that I've done with Jeff Curtis. And you know, the question is whether they use it, how well, they use it. And it seems like it's a good idea to say, you know, patient says, I'm doing good. And then you say, yeah, look at your numbers here. You started out in an 18 and now you're at a three or, and, you know, you could use that number for anything, whether it's a, you know, a, a 
a, a cholesterol or a complement level, or in, in the case of rheumatoid, um, a, a standardized metric. I, but the, I don't know that we often use numbers to our advantage in reaffirming the success of what we've done. Right. I mean, it's for me, I use it for that. But the other place where I like to use it is when the patient says, I'm doing, I'm really doing well, doc. And I'll look and I'll go, well, actually, your numbers are telling me you're not. And it's not that they're not my numbers, especially with the rapid three, it's their numbers. And so I can say, you know, you're telling me that your pain is four. I'm not telling you your pain is four. And I can get your pain most of the time, I can get your pain down below two. So maybe we can do better that I know you're happy with where you are, but I think I can do better. And I think it makes a difference, which is also the point of our debate is I think it's more than just you can feel better. I think there's impact on long-term outcomes, function, cardiovascular, fertility. I mean, that's one of my favorites is not that, you know, I want not necessarily all men need to get more fertile or women for that matter. But if they're interested, we take care of women of childbearing age. And if I can say, and they're interested, and I can say your fertility will be better if I treat you to a target, isn't that a positive? Oh, it certainly is for the for women who are, and many young women are worried about that going forward. Now, the one of the problems is that T2T or TTT, I like T2T myself. I like T2T. I think yeah. it sounds cooler. It was sort of generated in the rheumatoid arena, but it's been discussed throughout the many diseases that we take care of from gout to lupus yeah. to you know, even scleroderma and vasculitis. And, and the question is, do, does it belong throughout all of our treatment? Um, and if it does, then isn't the failure even greater? Well, I, I'm going to say, this is where I'll say, I think it does, but I don't have the evidence to support that, that I do in rheumatoid arthritis. Right. You know, personally, I treat the target whenever I can. When I'm treating with a, a psoriatic, I use the rapid three, but I also treat the MDA whenever possible. I mean, it's a tough, that's a tough scale, by the way. Yes. Very but uh, I, I measure it and I, I'm, it's not necessary. I don't always attain it because the way it's calculated, but if I have somebody in MDA and I can tell them you're at MDA and I'll explain what it means. Uh, if I tell them they're at MDA, I can tell them you're doing really well. Yeah, that's minimal disease activity, not muscular dystrophy association. Exactly. That's or moderate disease activity, which is always the other thing that throws yes. me off when you look at MD, MDA in, in PSA is what Artie, uh, Marty's talking about. I don't know why I keep calling you Artie. You, you guys hang out. I'm much better looking. What's, you know, <laughs> we don't have to worry. He He's he's a, a technological Luddite. He doesn't listen to podcasts and, um, watch, and watch us on Twitter. So, um, the one of the concerns about you know um, treat the target that I know that um, I'm not going to get into many concerns that I know you're going to get into that I'll refute. But one is that the you know the targets have changed. the The tools we use for target has changed and it keeps changing. And does that not add to some of the confusion by both clinicians and patients and their lack of success? I mean, you, you can point to rheumatoid arthritis as the example. How many numbers have we used in treat the target? Um, you know, starting with the original 
uncalculable um, Grigor calculation on DAS 44 that had, that had a Ritchie index involved in it and God, God knows what else. But you know, now it's, there's, there's so many things you can choose from, but doesn't that confuse the situation? Uh, I would say just the opposite. Uh, I think it makes things easier. Pick one or two. I mean, uh, it's, it isn't like you have to use a DOS 28 or the SDI is the only thing. I mean, I even disagree with, uh, the, although I was part of the, the panel, uh, I disagree with the, room, the ACR group that says, you know, these are the, the better measures to use. Uh, I did a paper years ago with uh, using Genentech data where we picked any composite score using three or four of the core data set, just any of them. And it doesn't matter. They all work. So for me, and years ago, Ted Pincus and I did, looked at it, and frankly, the best measure of them all, composite score of the patient global and the physician global, right. just two of them. And you get those two, they're as good as anything else. So for me, I think having multiple measures doesn't confuse things. It, it actually, for me, takes away some of the excuses of why people don't do it. You can get a rapid on everybody. It takes nine seconds, for God's sakes. I mean, come on. Uh, you can do a seed eye on everybody. You should be doing a joint count. I mean, you would think rheumatologists would want to examine joints. So as long as you're examining it while you're squeezing the joints, count up to 28. I mean, it's not that tough. And that takes a whole minute and a half. Oh, my God, we're taking all this time. It's come on. So the, the idea that doesn't matter, um, I want to clarify that for the audience. So there are the, there are a number of different outcome measures you can use, uh, PAI, RAPID3, CDI, et cetera. Um, and the problem, the interesting thing is that they are all drawn from some combination of seven core set variables that are part of the ACR20 def definition or a part of the old Paulus criteria. Um, and and it doesn't matter if you use four out of seven, three out of seven, two out of seven, that there's going to be a high correlation since you're using some subset of those seven. So just measure the one that suits your fancy and and you're off to the races. You know, the and, and I and I like the point about that that patient global and MD global are just as predictive as everything else. And but the problem is that the docs hear that and say, well, hell. That's what I'm doing. I asked the patient, yo, how you doing? Um, and, and I'm doing my own, theoretically, of my own MD globe. But the fact is that, you know, asking how you doing and, and, and then a doctor coming up with his own thought about patients doing great, not so great, isn't quite the same as a clinical trial where you've got a 10 centimeter visual analog scale and you've got to commit to a number after having done you know, 20 minutes with the patient, um, it's a little bit, it, it sounds like it should be the same, but it's not the same. It is not the same. And, and that's why when I have some people who are skeptical, one of the things I say is, okay, when you're done with your physical exam, when you're done with your visit and you're closing up with the patient, at the end of your visit, write down a number zero to 10 of what, you know, by, and I do 0.5s because I use the 21 dot score. So 0 0.5, 1, 1 1.5, uh, write down a score and do it every time you see the patient. At the end of every visit, give it a score. And what you'll notice is 
you'll see patients that you're saying you're doing okay, and all of a sudden they're fours. And then you'll have other patients that you're saying they're doing okay, and they're 0.5s. And now you're going to have to explain to me why you think a 0.5 and a four is the same. But when you see it, as opposed to think it, it makes a huge difference. Yes. And, then, and that's really just, it, it takes no time. It's just, again, if you want, you can have a, like a little visual analog on your workstation. And at the end of your visit, just touch it and say, oh, my finger now is at 1.5. That's what I'm going to score or 6.5. But if you just do that regularly, you will see there's a difference in how you are scoring people. Yeah, so um, the the uh, problem with that, of course, is that when the doc doesn't do the exact one or 0.5 assessment and, and give it a score, Instead, he's doing things like patient doing better than last time or marginally successful at the, you know, the words that are chosen, A-okay, they mean something to that doc, but they don't translate very well into, um, you know, a numeric rating. And so there, there's a, that's where it kind of falls down when docs don't really um, use a metric that is designed to assess physician global. And exactly. And I think one of the problems is where you just said, which is better than before. Well, that's not, that shouldn't be our goal. Right. Yes, I want my, yes, I want my patients to be better than when they started. Yeah, uh, yes. But better than before isn't adequate now when I can do better. I mean, I can, uh, one of the talks I used to give, I, used, I called treat to normal. Because I believe with our current medications in a vast majority of patients, I don't make them better. I make them normal. No. And normal is not better than when they started. Don't you think that, and I love that you say that because that's a, my goal is remission. I'm hell bent on it. I, I ain't accepting low disease activity state. I'm not accepting 30%, 40%, 50%. I'm, it's got to be a remission number because that's, that's truly getting closer to you know, high function return to normal. The problem is that, that these metrics and these targets do accept LDA as a reasonable assessment because not everybody can get there and right. because they have mechanical damage or because it's too long or because they're, you know, they're, they're half empty kind of people that will never score anything low on a visual analog scale. So you know, this is a, this is one of the problems. Well, I'll confess that I am an LDA kind of a guy that if I can get people to LDA or low disease activity level, I'm pretty content. I mean, obviously if I see things that worry me, but if I get them a low disease activity, uh, I don't mind as much because again, I can show evidence that getting people for getting them into the lower disease state Always, the lowest disease state always makes is always best. There have been a lot of studies that have shown people getting from moderate disease and getting down to low, uh, getting down to remission, and they do better. Uh, there's never been a study that I have looked at that have shown people starting at low disease that there was an, a significant benefit to pushing them from low disease to remission. 
And I, it's something I'd love to see. I mean, intellectually, do I think it could happen? Yes. But I would really wonder about the number needed to treat, the incremental benefit, and how many good drugs do you run through to get that one extra joint? Well, the, the difference, I think the differences would be between remission numbers and LDA numbers would be, one, theoretically, there should be less progression and downstream problems like fertility or, or cardiovascular events. Um, but I think it's quite more impactful on the reverse end. The reverse end being getting to LDA is great. And I, and I think you and I might agree that there's not a lot of difference sometimes between an LDA, some LDA patients and some that are in remission. Right. You know, they're separated by two points or something. They look kind of the same. But I think ca by category, I think the fact is that LDA has a greater propensity to flare or fall out of LDA than might a remission. And that might be the one of the small benefits yeah. of pushing to remission. Well, the, the number, the lower the number, the harder it is to get to a higher number. I mean, that's, I'm being a little theologically, theologic here, but uh, I mean, that's sort of, if you start at two, it's harder to get to six than when you start at five. I mean, that's 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 pretty self-explanatory, I think. Uh, people who are in remission do the best. I don't think anyone will argue that. Right. The question I have, and again, I can't prove it one way or the other. I don't. I don't. I think there's a subset of people who I can push from moderate to high disease to remission, but I don't know that there's everybody that I can push to remission. And I don't, again, I don't know that it's worthwhile if I get them into a reasonably low disease state that there's an incremental benefit. And again, we can, this is a different debate you and I can have at another time, whether incremental benefit is valid. Yes, every study that has looked at it, patients in remission do better than patients who are not. So but want, there's no study that has shown that people who start at low disease and go to remission really get that much better. Right. So I want to end with um, each of us predicting the tactic of the other. So I'm going to predict that your tactic is to overwhelm me with the evidence that if you do, then everyone wins. And therefore, to not do T2T would be an incredible omission, mistake, and danger to your patients. And your mistake is that you're living in fairyland where not everybody measures, and the tipping point for change is always 30 years later. And I am going to predict that what you're going to do is you're going to say, yes, metrics are wonderful, but if they're so wonderful, why is it that nobody's doing them? And I'm, you can show me data that shows, yep, you've been telling, Marty, you've been telling people for the last 15 plus years that they have to do this and nobody's doing it. So why are you still talking about this nonsense? If it was really that great and really that important, it would have caught on by now. All right. So the 
the fact is we can't use these this these uh, these uh, video clips against each other during <laughs> our debate. Although it seems really tempting, because I'm writing down every word you just said exactly. to figure out. Been, how to I wanted to take my, notes the whole time. To my positioning, so um, uh, it will be a good debate because uh, any discussion with Marty Bergman is always an intelligent one, always one that you know, pokes the beehive on our think pots. And I think that makes us all better rheumatologists. Marty, thank you for doing this. Hey, thank you for that, Jack. Appreciate it. And always a pleasure. Okay. I want to remind the audience to um, uh, go to room now. Um, if you have a question for me or one of my guests, you can record it on Ask Kush Anything. It's on the website. It's on the email. Um, tune in next week. Listen up. While there is great hope that an understanding of biomarkers will benefit rheumatoid arthritis patient management, there are but a few biomarkers shown to be both diagnostic and prognostic. Researchers have suggested that RA patients who test positive for specific autoantibodies may express higher disease activity, which could impact treatment strategies, but most practitioners generally use these results only for diagnostic purposes. Bristol-Myers Squibb is investigating treatment outcomes in a unique patient population, patients who tested positive for these antibodies, which together are associated with higher disease activity. Rheumatologists may want to consider these biomarker-driven results when considering treatment options. To learn more, please visit rabiomarkers.com.